Billiken fans, welcome back. It's Zach Miller and Peter Hale. You know it's the Midtown Madness podcast. Before we get going, uh, if you have not subscribed to us on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe. And really, if any, if at any point during this uh, episode you feel like you got something to respond to us about, go ahead and c- drop a comment in there. I haven't talked about that lately. I want to get people commenting more on our videos. And uh, if you have commented, trust me, I have seen it and I appreciate it more than you know. Uh, it's season four of the Midtown Madness podcast. Uh, and we're, of course, brought to you by two men in a garden. Peter, uh, we're not going to we're not going to sell anybody a subscription service to some meal prep uh, kit that that you just that we're not going to tell you it's cheaper for you. And and really, it, it's just not uh, no useless subscription services on this show. Um, we're only here about two men in a garden salsa. It's local. It tastes amazing. They've got all the flavors no matter what your individual salsa preferences. And you can pick up their many products at local grocery stores or online at twomenandagarden.com. And if you are a particular uh, taste, uh, that's where you want to go. Follow them on social media at Two Men Salsa. That's on Instagram and Twitter. Pete, we talk about practice. Practice, yeah, it's a it's a legendary rant from you, Zach. Right, you're the originator. Of yes, that. practice. Um, yes. The, hold on. Yeah, that was my rant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that one was for the YouTube listeners, right yes, there. Yes, watchers, viewers, whatever. Um, uh, sorry, I turned my hat. I cocked my hat sideways. Uh, in the style of Allen Iverson, the answer, my favorite basketball player. Uh, growing up. Um, right. I, I had the arm sleeve. I think I've said that a, a lot, um, on the show that, and like, I was a hybrid between Alan Iverson and Marquis Perry in eighth grade. <laughs> and uh, yet, so you had, you had, you were a hybrid of Marquis Perry and Alan Iverson, but where did your career kind of top off? Like what uh, was eighth grade? The last year of organized ball for you? Uh, Rick Majerus playing career, uh, le- less, uh, less than Rick Majerus playing career. Okay. Um, yeah, like 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 an Eric Spolstra playing career just didn't exist. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, no, I had the you know I had the cut off sleeveless, I had the cut undershirt mm-hmm. under the jersey, so that was the marquee. Uh, practice is underway though, Pete. Uh, first uh, one tipped off. I don't do they they don't tip off in practice, but uh, this past Wednesday, uh, and, and of course you cannot have a first day of practice without getting into a discussion of how these players are measured in height. Every year there is some sort of chicanery around the listing on our official roster versus how tall these guys actually are, how tall we heard that they were when they were coming in. Uh, so it was really funny to see Stu Durando actually acknowledge this on Thursday on his Twitter. His piece in the post on Wednesday mentioned that Bruce is seven one but he's listed as seven foot even on the roster and that uh, Magasa is six, six, which matches his height on the roster um, despite being touted as six, eight or six, nine when he first signed. Um, and then Kellen Thames is listed at six, five, but Ford just said the other day that he's a legit six, seven, um, you know, Stu recounted when Hargrove was said to be like six, six and still growing when he signed, when he was a recruit, but then he's just been listed as six, four ever since. And he's clearly not six, six. I, I don't know, Zach. It just fe- it it feels like this really. I don't remember this being a thing when I was there, 
And and I was, you know, I was around Back those guys every day. day. Yeah, well, for real, you know, like I, I would look at the media guide and the roster and everything, and then I would actually see them and like everything was on the up and up legit. It was never, I don't remember there being questions about any of it. It feels like when Majerus came is when we first started to question heights. And I think it's because he always under, and I don't know how much was this, his influence or anyone else in the program at the time, but everyone was listed a little bit lower than what they actually were. Like, like, I, I don't know if you want to say, well, that's without shoes it's when they wake up in the morning before gravity takes exactly it seemed like one way or another his players were always being rounded down and and maybe that was a bit of gamesmanship i don't know but ever since then it's just every year there's like some question about somebody's height and it cracks me up are you uh are you uh by the way the reason there was no chicanery under brad soderberg is because soderberg's a damn saint well yeah yeah i don't think he would have even thought to like you know, would goof around with heights, but Romar didn't either, you know, when Romar was there. So I, I don't, I don't know what it is. I, Do you, are maybe you everybody's a, doing it now. Are, if, okay. If it's your call, are you under or over listing? Neither. I am. I'm, I'm scientifically listing to the, the absolute height that they are like, I'm so not you're going, going centimeters. Direction. No, I'm not. I'm not going. Maybe I put it by the inches. Just, just, you know, okay. for the scientists in the crowd, but like, no, I, I I'm, or the European players, but I would list exactly kilometers. What, I would I wouldn't go one way or the other. I, I would I would be I'm too much of like a rule follower. It, it would bother me if I'm listing guys at at the wrong measurements. See, I would go. I, I think under. If you're gonna do either or, I think under is the way to go. Let let the sure. the guys look taller when you uh, when you face off in person. Yeah, if I had to pick one of those two, but I think I would still go with the right answer, the honest answer. Yeah, how do you how do you feel about kind of the the video? Uh, I guess Ford's interview um, that STL today kind of released. What about that? Was there anything that stood out to you in that, or kind of how did that make you feel? You know, anything? You no, know, not really. No, I thought it was pretty straightforward. I, there was nothing that really jumped out at me in particular. It seemed like you know he's he was pretty fair pretty realistic about everything was this the interview where he's i think it was not this interview the one you're referring to but maybe later where he said their goal is to win 25 or 26 games this season yeah i i heard that i i i'm i'm really when i talk about the video that came out like i'm kind of meshing it all together kind of so conflating all of the media presence in the past week or so it doesn't, uh, yeah. Anything that's come out about practice. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. So, so that's really the thing that stood out to me the most, but in the, like the four or five minute video, um, he did with, with, uh, it, that I guess that was posted on the post dispatch. No, I thought it, I thought it was good. I thought everything was fine. He seemed, he seemed fair. Um, I, I, I think, maybe the thing that stood out the most is is the guy who has the most uncertainty right now and that's um Brad Azuero um he wait he pronounced it a little differently it was Azuero Azuero yeah what? it was it, it was something one of the Dude, he's was... from Kentucky like he pronounces everything <laughs> differently than okay okay maybe I maybe I shouldn't be sweating that too much but regardless he said he's dropped like 30 34 pounds something which like that. is preposterous well, I mean, he's Brad's a big guy. Like, like watching yeah. video of him, it was like he's he was a thick dude. 
Um, I don't, it's not like he's a beanpole now all of a sudden. Um, so maybe he had 30 pounds to, to, to shed. Uh, but I was impressed that, that Ford said he was about as, as competitive and serious and ready a, a player as he's ever had come in new, um, really impressed by that. So, Hey, I hope, I hope, I hope against hope that he's going to get that waiver, but, um, I'm not counting on it this year. And, and if not, it sounds like of the other bigs that Bruce is the guy who's most ready to go. Yeah, I want to talk. Um, uh, well, actually, there is one more uh, little note. By the way, actually, I want to get back to that 25, 26. Were you surprised that he said 25, 26? A little bit, yeah. I, I wouldn't have expected him to give a number at all. You know, because think about how how much people have really snapped back at Chris May over the 21 comments from last season saying, hey, we had another 21 season. That's a successful season. And a lot of other people have just said, no, 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 no. 20 wins does not, in the context of where we are in this league today, 20 wins doesn't really mean anything. I was surprised to hear him give a number. And it almost, to me, sounds like a direct response to that because quite frankly, Zach, and I and I didn't have time to sort of break it down, but if we win 20 games this season, we're probably around 140, 150 in the net rankings. 20, 20 wins doesn't really get us within sniffing distance of the NIT. We have to win more than that, you know, to yeah. actually be a, a viable postseason team. So for him to say 25 or 26, it's like, okay, yeah, now we're talking, you know, that that's, that's a postseason team. Um, so I, I was, I, I like that. I was impressed by that. One thing you mentioned the expectations and the, in the postseason, and one thing that came out or not came out, but we kind of talked about it on Twitter and, and West Pine bills talked about it a bit too. In that thread was, kind of the idea that the the NCAA tournament is the goal and nothing less is is acceptable and you know some fired back at that and and you know said that it wasn't really fair with this team and I wanted to get your take on expectation this season versus expectation of the program as a goal and and how you know in my mind that because you didn't your, your goal is obviously or at least I believe the goal is to make the NCAA tournament once every four year cycle. That's, that's a, that's, that's kind of an antiquated goal now. Mm -hmm. uh, I think mm -hmm. for a lot of programs, just because of the turnover and how quickly you can revamp your roster. Um, but I wanted to get your take on, on expectations on a macro level and whether you think they, that last year's goal should apply to this year because it was not achieved. Whether I think it should apply or not, Zach, that's, I mean, man, that's a tricky question just because we're, it's so many new players, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, it's a completely different team, different schedule. I think the landscape in the league is honestly kind of the same. Um, it's a very winnable league. And I think that's what everybody kind of looks at is like, there, there's your lane, right? Like, yeah, Dayton brings most guys back. You know, they lost Kamara, they lost uh, Mongolian Mike, they lost, couple other dudes but like I, I I look at VCU is completely new and and you know one of their key players is not going to be ready uh you know didn't get his waiver I, I look at the league and there's some, some teams are going to be better Duquesne seems like the kind of hot pick right now to win the league but everybody's got to be every team in this league has to be looking up and down the league and thinking like why not us and so I think that part of the expectations are or maybe not expectations but realistic goal is there uh 
Like anybody, whoever wins this league this year is going to kind of feel surprising, right? I, I, there's no team that you could tell me like they're the one who win where I wouldn't be like, huh, really? Like even if, if, if Duquesne winds up being the consensus pick, like, cause they were the big surprise last year and they look even better this year on paper, it would still be surprising to me. That would still feel a little weird. Um, if Dayton won, if he said like anybody who wins this league is going to feel unexpected. So there's the, there's the element of why not us. And I think that's kind of what it is because the roster is totally different. Jimerson Hargrove, couple of role players beyond that return and everybody else is new. And we, we do not know. We really don't know what we have in some of these guys yet. We just gotta, we just gotta see them go. So I, I don't personally have those expectations. I think I've kind of been saying this privately to you and a couple other people is just like, I just want to sit back and watch them ball this season. I'm, I'm not burdening myself with Travis Ford has to accomplish this. This team has to accomplish that. I don't have anything on paper where I'm like, this is what I expect. This is what they've got to get to. I just want to start seeing the season unfold and then maybe I'll adjust my expectations accordingly. But if his goal is 25 or 26 wins and we can kind of get in that neighborhood, I would be thrilled. I mean, that that would that would be great. Um, is that achievable? Is that realistic? I have no idea. I really, I really don't. I really don't. I think it's crazy how many people are leaving Gibson Jimerson off their preseason all-conference teams already. I agree. Um, that dude's going to score a lot. I, I I see no reason why he's he going to need he's going to need someone again to take the weight off him. But yeah, yeah. But can't sincere Parker be that right? guy? Can't uh, a number of other players on our team kind of step up their game and surprise sure. a little bit? Um, I, yeah. I look. I I agree. Um, Jimerson's going to need that, but I, 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 maybe we have enough for that. Sure. You talk um, about, I, I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, well, and, and uh, the last point I was going to make is we don't have Yuri there anymore. So I, I don't really know what Jimerson looks like without Collins as his point guard, the ball spent a lot of time in Collins hands. Maybe if it starts moving around a little bit earlier in the offense, uh, all season long, and we, we don't have that point guard who's, who's trying to make the play, you know, himself. Um, maybe Jimerson winds up with more looks a little earlier in the shot clock kind of thing. I, I, you know, I, I still think he's going to score a ton. I know he's going to draw the toughest assignment defensively. I know all that, but, um, I, I think he's, he's a, a big X factor in this conference this year and not enough people are talking about him. Uh, you talked about burdening yourself with the expectations, but I'm yeah. wondering about, I'm wondering about whether the fans should burden Travis and the program and the players and uh with that expectation that hey this is year eight you gotta get there a, a big thing has changed though and it's not that the the staff Ford the players are not doing something right we do not have the Nil budget that we need in order to compete with the me. top programs. That that is just that is plain and simple. And I don't know if you put that on Ford for not, I don't know, fundraising better, making more friends among the donor class at SLU. Uh, I don't know if that's the athletic de department's issue. I don't know what it is, but it is very, very clear that the goals that were laid out for the Billiken Victory Fund from its inception have not been achieved because all of the other schools that they named as peers have beaten us head to head for recruits since then. And most of them more than once, maybe that's not true of 
Dayton actually, but we generally have not recruited the same players as, as they have. Um, it is, it's abundantly clear that we just don't have the bag for NIL. We don't. And so the fans can be as mad at Travis as they want, but maybe we should be thinking about what it takes to compete in this current landscape. And I'm not saying that's like everybody pony up right now. I don't know what the answer is. I'd have to look at how other schools are putting their equivalents of the victory fund together and, and, and what they're getting out of that and, and what, you know, assistant coaches at SLU or elsewhere are saying that they need in order to be competitive for top hundred, top 75, top 50 players out of high school. And then the top, however many transfers in the portal, um, we're, we're, we're not getting those guys and we're looking for other ways to compete and find value and, and maybe build a long-term program. And that's fine. But it's just it's just clear to me that if fans are mad at Travis and Travis alone, they're kind of ignoring the elephant in the room, in my opinion. So I tweeted out something from our account and I wanted to kind of get your take on it. Uh, and you kind of did. But like my my tweet is almost a, re, uh, a preemptive reaction to that, um, mm-hmm. that idea that getting mad at Travis, who are who are you who should be mad at who? I guess uh, basically what I said is Billiken basketball falling flat last season was probably the worst time uh, for Travis Ford to have it happen. Many were restless, losing faith, faith, and unfortunately looked to be proven correct in that time. NIL has made a major change in the landscape. As you mentioned, uh, fan booster sentiment is incredibly important uh, regarding uh, leadership at the AD level, at the coaching level. Um, if SLU does go on an NCAA run in last, uh, last season, who knows the where fan sentiment lies uh, and, and whether that brings in an influx of NIL money. Instead, uh, the team doesn't make the postseason. You, the a- athletic department comes out in the defense of results. Uh, so not only did you lose faith in, in the head coach, but the athletic department leadership doesn't have necessarily the goals uh, that you're looking to give money for uh, raising NIL is a hard sell when you don't play well a season and uh, in a season that you should have. And the department is, is endorsing it. Uh, you have to have goals that are worth donating money for. Uh, why would someone donate NIL money if they don't think it's going to be worth it? At the end of the day, the program needs NIL money to compete. Like you said, with the Dayton's and the VCU at the national level, but just because you're not getting the NIL doesn't mean fans don't want to give NIL. It means you haven't done a good enough job to earn that support. Uh, and of course, I, I don't want to say that is uh, they should have fired Travis Ford last season. Cause I, 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 I obviously we all know that there's no way anybody is, is ponying up money for his buyout. It was astronomical. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, all you have to do is kind of say, look, we didn't meet the goals. We didn't come anywhere close, but for the, for, for, but right now we believe the right thing to do is to keep moving forward to Travis and rain, maintain committed to building slew basketball into an a 10 power. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think, it, and I get that you can't say, oh, we didn't make the NCAA tournament. That's, that's horrible. Like we got to do that every year, but give yourself, your fans something more. And maybe at the end of the day, they, like get them to believe in what sell them, uh, you know, a future, um, something they can, they can see and be like, okay, that's a goal. I think we can attain. 
Part of it is, I think you and I have a sense of they're trying to find other ways to win, other ways to be competitive without just having an NIL fund that can compete with the top programs, right? Like they are, we know that they, they went international this year, for example, and that's a little bit more cost-effective way to get a certain level of talent in. I, I don't think there's a big downside in them communicating and them being a little more public and saying, look, we're not there where we need to be with this. If you guys want us to be there, help us out. In the meantime, here we have a plan. We're, we're going to be competitive. Um, this is how we're doing it. And I don't know how transparent you, you can be. I'm not, I'm not saying that they need to like start publishing numbers of like what each kid is getting. Like, that's not what I'm I'm saying at all. No. It's more just like we're very comfortable with the people we have in our staff right now and their ability to evaluate and go get talent. And we are not able to compete for talent that is just seeking a certain dollar amount at this level or something like that. That's just, that's the reality of our situation. Again, beef up that Billiken victory fund. If you want to land some of those names. Um, but in the, in the short term, here's what we're doing. Here's how, why I think we're going to be competitive. And in the long term, let's, let's build this thing, you know, allow yourself this season to be willing to be surprised. Um, maybe, maybe we're a little bit better than people are thinking. I, it's, it's that, that, that thread, I think everything in there was true and absolutely correct. And I know people responded to that in, in different ways. It's amazing. I, a, a completely down the middle take. Yeah. Got like wildly different reactions on both sides of it. Because it's not like you were saying fire Ford. It's not like you were saying fire May or like like there was no like conventional hot take kind of thing. It was no. just like a step back and like, look, here's the reality of the situation. And and yeah, last we're not the first people to make the point that last season, the timing of last season being kind of a failure was devastating. It, like it, it it really was. It it could not have been. Can't wait for seven years down the road when we do slew what ifs. Oh my god, I know. It was. It, it's always a matter of timing for this program, right? It's always a matter yeah. of timing. Uh, Romar left r right when this program was on the cusp of being like a big time talent pro. Like Majerus died right, right as as he had built something that was going to last. Um, I mean, look, that lasted two years beyond. You know, his that's own how life. that's how deep that was. It was incredible. Um, it's so, like, why? Like, how did he not get posthumous head coach of the year? <laughs> like, if, he, if, if it just shows you, like, had he been able to coach another two, three, four years, my God, like, like, just think of how uh, that would have gone differently. Yeah. Um, so, so there, there are so many ways that you look at the timing and the way timing has killed this program. And like that, the timing of that season, when we had, a lot of talent when we had so much experience when we had high expectations and a weak conference and like the ability to in a in a good schedule that had we won a few more games we would have looked completely different heading into the conference season um so many things that that were that you looked going into last year like here is our our way in and and it didn't happen and 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 yeah again the worst time because the game is changing so rapidly around us. The conferences are blowing up every month. Um, it's all, it's becoming all about NIL and 
it just, yeah, it's just like the, t- it's brutal timing. And I, I don't see how anyone could look at your thread and think other, anything other than like, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> like yeah. We're disappointed, you know, like I, I can't believe like people would think that there was anything incorrect about it. You know, and I think, but- I, I think we're in a complete, like if NIL doesn't happen, I think we're in a completely different spot. Fans are still going to be pissed. Yeah. But I've have full faith in Travis Ford to go out and revamp this roster conventionally as if it were if if the rules were 2019. And we'll get to this in a in a minute, but yeah, we've been involved with a lot of recruits who haven't gone our way. And um and, and you gotta think if if one or two of those does go our way, things look different going forward. Uh, but yeah. as it stands right now, we have a completely open, uncommitted 2024 class. And yeah. And I, I mean, I don't, the, the amazing thing is, is we don't know. We have not heard any visitors. Like we have no confirmed visitors. No. And and I've told you this, but like every time we have an assistant or the head coach on and they'll be like, oh, you know, then we had some guys on campus and you're just like, wait, really? Like, I didn't know that. You're like, who, you know, like I, I always want, I, I can't ask, they can't say, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to believe that we've had guys on that we don't know about, or we got, we have guys on the way that we don't know about. There's only one visitor that I'm absolutely sure is is still coming. And I think it's next weekend or, or very soon, maybe the weekend after, um, the, uh, Williford is, is the recruit. Um, I think he's out of Vegas, Southern California is, is where he's playing right now, but, um, other than that, yeah, I, I don't know who else is in the pipeline, but I, as, as of right now, no, I'm, I'm not aware of any visitors and none that I can confirm anyway. You know, I just want to take a moment for, to appreciate. We talked about the roster turnover. Mm-hmm. Um, there are more players on this roster that have Billikens as their picture than their actual picture. Yeah. There's, I think there's, <laughs> let's see, there's Steph, Svet, Bruce, Alex, Abu, Mike, Tim, Georgie, uh, Bradley, Sian. Uh, yeah. I didn't count as I was saying that, but that's a lot. Having uh, haven't had pictured it yet. Also, that Abu, uh, 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 that that's the shortened name. Uh, really, really bums me out because I was excited for the boob. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a pipe dream. Also, uh, reading this roster has to give. Uh, Guy Phillips nightmares. <laughs> um, he's screwed this year. He's going to retire uh, <laughs> during the first exhibition. Just, game. Uh, if if it turns out that uh, recruiting all of the international players ends up in Guy Phillips retirement, consider the hiring of Chris Harriman and the success even before this team steps on the floor. The law of unintended consequences. Absolutely. Um, so some, Oh, speaking of uh, international, uh, Stefan Bussell hasn't practiced yet. Still nursing a foot injury. Now, he said he's about three weeks away. He has, he's out of the boot from, so I swear to God that at some point in the interviews, Travis Ford said that he was out there working out, but he wasn't fully practicable. That might be the distinction, right? Like if he says he's three weeks out, he might mean from full contact practice, like every every drill, right? It it, it could be that he's doing other things, the, the running, working out, what whatever else strength and conditioning that he can do at this point. 
um, without putting full game speed force on his uh, foot. We've kind of been uh, free flowing this uh, this segment, but uh, there was the the unfortunate uh, news that Trent Noah uh, canceled his slew uh, visit. At least that was how it was reported by, well, I guess I guess the torch, um, and he's committed to South Carolina. Last week we talked about how. Uh, you know, the show comes out on Monday and he was scheduled to arrive on Thursday, the 28th for his visit. And we talked about how we were excited for him and felt like, Hey, you know, we're in his final eight. Maybe we have a better shot than just one and eight, 12 and a half percent. Like I like, maybe we are in a better position here. We are his last visit, which is always tough to be because there's the chance that somebody really likes what they see or have to hear at another place. And they commit early, right? And I was like, well, we only have three more days. And Zach, sure enough, it all blew up in those three days. He The the two schools he visited before SLU seemed to be the biggest competition, and that was Butler and South Carolina. And it seems like once he got to South Carolina, uh, he must have called SLU and said, look, here's what's on the table. And knowing what we just said about SLU and where we stand on NIL, and then knowing that South Carolina is an SEC football school, which means NIL is just, <laughs> it, it's like a mountain stuffed with cash. Um, we just can't compete with that. And uh, I don't know what the numbers are necessarily. I just know that that's, that's a tough, that's a tough place to be for us. It just is. Some of the other, look, the other schools in his top eight, Western Kentucky, Richmond, Dayton, some of these feel like, hey, like we're going to be right there. We can compete with them. And uh, and when uh, when when South Carolina is the one that we really have to beat, that's tough. Maybe and look, we'll just I, stay international for a minute. It, it seemed like Butler. He really liked Butler. And we've already lost multiple recruits to Butler in the last year or two. And Creighton. And it would have been, yeah, and it would have been hard to see another one go that way. So I don't know what's worse, Zach. I think probably it would have been worse to me if if we lost yet another guy to Butler, um, who who we were in the same group of finalists as. South Carolina, it's like, hey, I get it. Look, I get it. If they if they came up with a number and Slew said, Well, it's been it's been nice talking to you, then that's life. It's unfortunate. I, w- I wish we could have had him on campus. I wish we could have at least, you know, ha- had had a real legit shot at the end but um unfortunately we were that last visit and he made it to seven of the eight visits and we were the eighth that's really the other ones didn't get picked either so that's i I don't care like that (laughs) sucks dude yeah yeah it's tough i mean i'm just this is it's just depressing right now yeah yeah, it was, it, it was it was not good, you know, the day that we hit publish on this last show and then, um, you know, crystal ball predictions from like, um, you know, 24-7 sports yeah. and on three start going towards South Carolina. It was like, well, great. Well, the the early buzz out of that visit sounds very positive. So if South Carolina wanted him bad enough, then then he get, they get him. It, it, honestly, if we could like move the news drop date to just Tuesday. That would be nice because I'm just tired of bad news on Mondays. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, yeah, dude. I just, I don't know. Like, I, and again, like this NIL thing, I think it can go many ways. I think a lot of people, like, you can absolutely blame 
I think fans, you know, look, I think the, the donors need to understand that if you're going to, and probably it had a lot to do with the alleged, um, the, the lack of an NIL bag, obviously it had a lot to do with the reported, uh, unrest among donors. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, you can see that, but like, it's so it seems so easy to tank a coach now. Yeah, that's true. I I just think the cycle is shortening on everything, and, and that's that's interesting. It's interesting to me that coaches are still getting five and six year contracts, right? Because like that's a, that's a long tail if a guy isn't doing what you want him to do by year two now. Yeah, you know, coaches that like there are there are coaches that only lasted two years pre nil pre immediate transfers. And now the cycle, the cycle is so short. If you come in and don't perform right away, the, like you, you, yeah, you get one year, but not after that. Um, and then these, these schools are just willing to eat three years of a deal. It's just, it's shortening the cycle on everybody in the game. I think it's also fair to ask about coaches that were hired pre NIL, if they're the same guy or same woman uh, for the job uh, post NIL. I think it's fair to sit there and, and review, you know, Travis Ford's tenure, Anthony Grant's tenure, um, you know, anybody who, who was hired pre-2020, um, whether or not they are suitable. It, it, it's interesting. You know, like we've always said, the the most successful coaches in the history of the game are the ones who adapt mm -hmm. because the, the inevitable thing about this game and every other one is that it evolves over time what you need to prioritize and recruit what what works what style of play works you know like just there there are so many different things that evolve over time and guys have there are a certain tier of guys that have managed to stay in the game forever because they evolved um as as much as i'm not like a coach k guy it's undeniable that he evolved with the game rather than being like a bob knight who um goes from you know, unimpeachable coaching legend to embarrassing dinosaur in a few years because he just refuses to evolve with the game around him. Um, I'm I'm not saying that that's what Ford and Grant and and others are. It's 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 really different in this one because the evolution is not them recognizing, hey, the way the the way players are these days has changed, or the the way the game is being played is has changed it's more spread out it's we need to we need to focus more on on shooting in all positions or whatever it is but now it's just uh how do i get the nil bag <laughs> how do i how do i have the biggest one to be competitive it's very easy to evolve when you have a huge treasury behind you and um and not every coach does and that it, it and like you just you actually just hinted at this is like um it's so easy to to get to well how did you word it torpedo you said, yeah to torpedo a coach take um, away his bag that's exactly right and then it's like well then and then no yeah, that's you're, not you're, a euphemism you're you're, you're basically <laughs> you're basically guaranteeing that he won't succeed now um so it does give different people more power head coaches the their their role has really evolved rapidly um, I don't know, you know, I don't, I, I don't necessarily know what the answer is there. Cause a big part of me feels like, oh man, it's not, it's not really their fault. Like we just had a, a, a getting back into timing. We just had 20 of our top donors each give a million dollars to build a building. 
And I think the building's great and it's nice to show to recruits, but it's hard for those recruits then to go on another visit where the campus might not have a building like that. But they're saying, hey, we can give you this this many, this much money per year for four years if you stay here or whatever. And SLU goes, well, we, yeah, we don't, we can't really do that. But like, you know, look, look at this building. It's really yeah. nice. Like, you check can spend out these chairs here. you can study in. Right. So I think the building's actually going to wind up being a much bigger selling point for, um, you know, the sports where NIL isn't really a big piece of the yeah. um, recruiting pie. Which seems like, uh, and again, we cover these sports like religiously. Like, we do. But it does seem like it might be. And again, this building was planned before NIL. Yeah, no, like, I know it's timing, I, timing, timing. I but, uh, but we we also talked about culture when when um we had this a converse NIL related conversation four or five months ago. We talked about culture, and it seems like SLU has a culture of donor that you know it's it's a smaller place. We don't have as many donors, but we do have a lot of 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 high dollar donors. And it just seems like they're the kind of people who would rather do something that's a little more institutional, a little more traditional, a little more um, old money, so to speak, um, as opposed to just coaches going, hey, give me more money. Or I guess coaches can't do it, but you know, whoever wait, runs wait, the, wait. the you you need to give this third party more money so that our coaches can recruit better players and therefore win more games. I think there's just a, I think the flavor yeah. of donor in our institution for better, or for worse, um, it just, that's just not as appealing as we each give a set amount. We build this beautiful facility. It'll be on campus for as long as we live and it'll be a great thing to have for all the student athletes. I think they're, they're going to, they would probably choose that again, even knowing what they know now that's that's my that, and that's why we need to be punch. we need to be marketing man we need to get out and expand the base here like you, you i feel like this program just relies on that old money it, i mean again and i don't know exactly what we're doing to expand the donor base but it feels like marketing the program to young families is a good way to do that yeah i, I don't disagree you and I both know you can build fans for life, man. If they have good experiences as yes. kids. Yes. Um, thank you. Um, Spoon hour, Grower, Soderbergh, yeah. Shimmy, um, and Romar. Cordis. Yeah. Uh, ah, man. <laughs> Hang you know in what? there, Zach. It, it, no, I'm not going to do it because we need to get into uh we need to have a talk about uh some pickles man uh, and it's pickles in a couple different ways yeah this seems like a natural fit in terms of promotion but pickles and pickleball zach mm -hmm. we we we're breaking this right here it's not it's not publicly known yet but two men in a garden and the stl shock pickleball club have entered an agreement as proud partners so you you may or may not know the Shafitz family owns the STL Shock pickleball team, and um, have been working now with with Two Men a Garden. I think they're about to announce it officially this week, probably the same day that we drop this show. Uh, but uh, but we we, get, we got word of this in advance. 
So they've got some pretty cool um, deals in the works, not just with them, not just with us, but they've also got STL City, a kiosk at City Park mm. for all games. They're selling pickles and they're selling nachos that have their salsa. Um, the at the S, you guys know how the pr- partnership with us works, but with STL um, Shock, they're going to be promoting each other's products, and then they're going to do a special in the kitchen segment to be sponsored by the Kitchen Hub that will be shot at the Missouri Pickleball Club, um, of course, in their in their kitchen. So a lot of really cool things, new partnerships going on with Two Men in the Garden Salsa. I know you you maybe you associate them exclusively with our show, but as they grow, they're really growing throughout the St. Louis sports community. And they have a lot, as as, as much as we like to think our humble little show is, is big time, they're they're getting more big time out there i mean stl city um that one really surprised me i thought that was awesome so two men in a garden.com go check them out and uh and and check out their social media too to kind of see how these partnerships evolve and everything that they're doing with them yeah definitely go do that and and it looks like uh the shock uh moved down to the challenger level they were in the top level of the league but interesting um women's basketball practice is underway uh oh man i I hate it because i just forgot that i wanted to bring something up to you about men's basketball practice because you mentioned why not us Mm -hmm. and you mentioned that as a rallying cry and it was in 2019 but this season uh they're going with uh relentless on the back of practice jerseys I, I like it honestly. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah, that's on the practice jerseys. On the it's if I'm below it's, the number, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. On the back, I, I, yeah. I like I like relentless. Um, I do too. It's a quality that I like. You know, even in my own uh, coaching my little under eight soccer team, uh, we're five and one now. By the way, um, I, I like that quality in those guys, the ones who are really who have that little fire, that little edge. Uh, it's it's a quality that I I really value. So. I like it as as a phrase. It's not. There's nothing cheesy or gimmicky about it. It's just. Uh, it's just an attitude thing. And uh, yeah, I think it's cool. Um, women's basketball practice is underway as of Sunday the first, uh, and they have kind of a uh, strategy. I wouldn't call it a rallying cry because I don't. No. Yeah, it's definitely kind of a uh, not a, a mantra. Call it a mantra. Well, I don't think I'd even say that. It's it's really it's one quote that was at the end of the article that showed up in STL today. They, you know, the post. Um, I don't know what the print version even looks like anymore. But um, the 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 takeaway was two words: legal physicality is kind of how they want to improve their defense, and that of course that's what got pulled and put in the headline. And basically, what what they're trying to do here is how can we step up our game defensively. Um, you know, within the boundaries of what's going to be called and not be called. And, and I'll kind of skip down a couple of bullets, Zach, to, to the inspiration for this. Markavia Shavers is going to be the starting center. The rest of the starters are going to be the same. SLU actually returned seven of its top eight scorers, just to remind people of that. Brooke Flowers is the only person, you know, they, they, they lost uh, who was a solid rotation player. So they're trading her height and length. Um, because Shavers is about six two and Flowers was more like six five for a lot more um physicality. And until it said there just really aren't many players like her in the league. So they're trying to prepare her to have a lot of fouls called on her. They're like it's just gonna happen like that. There's gonna be a lot of contact. 
that that goes through her that they're, that's going to get called and probably shouldn't be. So they're trying to figure out how they can be as physical as possible around her defensively and still not get into foul trouble, not get her into foul trouble, not get into foul trouble as a team. So legal physicality is how Tillett put it. Um, but I thought that was good. And they're, they're not just trying to step up their defense that way. She had two assistants break down every scoring play by their opponents last season to look for trends. So one started at the beginning of the season and one started at the end. And they're basically just going game by game, opposite directions. And then they're having film sessions with their players to sort of say, here are the trends we're seeing. And she said it's been really interesting to see their perspectives, especially because they're going opposite directions in the timeline. So it really seems to heavily be about defense this year, Zach. It's uh, um, it, for a team that scored a lot more last year than they did the the year before. Um, they they realized that that defense is kind of where they can make a difference this season, um, especially because they I think they do expect to score just as much, if not more, this year. You're on mute, buddy. Yep. Uh, well, I was googling uh, Markavia Shavers because I don't think I didn't think I had seen a picture of her, and my God, she's yeah. strong. She is strong. She is. Um, the the picture of her uh, with the all region team uh, is uh-huh. uh, the her biceps and like shoulders are impressive. And think um, about the A10 last year. We did not run into many players like that. No, like 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 certainly Brooke was always going to be on the lean side, you know, yeah. of a matchup. Um, but then again, we, we weren't going up against that kind of size. Yeah, no, she's, uh, she's going to definitely bring the strength, um, this season. That's for sure. Um, they talked about, you know, uh, getting tougher too, Pete. Yeah. One of the things, and, and coach Tillett has done this with teams in the past at, at her previous stops, but they did Marine Corps training sessions. And the last one this week, they, they got up before dawn. It was still dark outside. I remember seeing the social media posts like, good God, like they are really putting. Oh, come on. Getting up before dawn. Uh, (laughs) No sweat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You, man. Okay. We, we just, we have different lifestyles, different lifestyles. To me, that's like, you know, the, I get up before dawn. If a kid is like uh, forcing the issue, but Anyway, um, the, the the idea is to get tougher and to be just be a better rebounding team. For as much height as Brooke had, um, last year we just were not a strong rebounding team, just just period. And so that's they're looking to change that this season. And I, I think that's a, you know, that's a huge factor. So they did this Marine Corps training session. And I thought it was interesting that her response was they responded really well to these training sessions. Like, the way the way Tillett put it, and just like her phrasing of legal physicality, she has a way with words that you, you can tell she comes from like teachers and coaches and stuff like that. She she just words things unusually, but always kind of smart sounding. And she said it was hard to get them to frustration. Like I think the way I didn't she put read that is, right at first either. Yeah. Yeah, we can't get them to frustration. Like it's and, like and a, so, like a, a, the way I saw it was thinking about uh, the movie Miracle, the scene uh, after they lose to uh, Norway or whatever, mm-hmm. where he skates them the bag skate. Was that again? Yeah, again? yeah. It's called a bag <laughs> skate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like that's that's kind of what I'm envisioning is yeah. 
you know, push them to their absolute limits. Uh, you know, I know how hard to push them. Craig is what he said in that. I, I, it just feels like they're doing everything right because like last season they had, they're the unexpected tournament team for the first time in program history. And, and rather than just hope that the good vibes carry over, it's, it's more like we are going to diligently ruthlessly go after our shortcomings last season. Our defense, our rebounding was not good enough. We are going to go after those hard and, and, and really, yes, we're, we're going to continue to evolve the offense. Right. But, um, but we know we can score, so we need to stop teams. We need to get rebounds. And it's just been really impressive to me. Um, everything that they're doing. And I, I, I love the toughness training. I, I just, I, the team building, the, the mentality, um, everything seems to be pointed in the right direction for this program. They do, however, have the burden of expectations this year, right? Because they lost a lot in the non-conference last season and even in the early conference going. And um, and that's the way that the back half of the season went. Um, they're going to be expected to keep that going, right? Like, like they're, they're not going to have the benefit of, of being able to win four or five non-conference games. They're going to have to win a lot more. So expectations are definitely higher when you make the first tournament in program history and bring back seven of eight of your top scorers. You know, we're getting closer and closer to November because it's been 45 minutes or so, and we have yet to get out of basketball, mm. but we're yeah. going to do it now. And, uh, men's soccer, uh, draws with number nine, Missouri state on Wednesday, the 27th. And, you know, as much as you can look at that second half and say, yeah, we deserve to draw. Uh, I, I think the Billikens would have liked to come away with three points in this one. Which is funny to say, Zach, because I'm going to just fast forward to the stats here. Shots were 14 to four in Missouri State's favor. Shots on goal six to three. They had four corners to lose one. Um, I, I just I kind of feel like here's another one on paper where just like that VCU game, Slew's coming away with a tie in a game where they were really outshot, maybe didn't create nearly the same amount of opportunities. I don't know what, you know, maybe we can get more into the diagnosis of that, but this team still is is failing to cr- generate shots out of its um, offensive attack. And, and maybe that's the thought process, right? Really, you know, commit to that, you know, defend the goal first and and if the goals come the goals come uh and not try to find a way around scoring um a scoring drought i guess that could be yeah sure fair enough i'm i'm willing to entertain anything uh you know any any reason um it was a nice goal though in the yes. in the 12th minute that puts slew on the board it was a fantastic goal, actually. As much as it was right place, right time, uh, 12th minute, uh, a great goal from Diego Koenigs. Uh, Missouri State fails to repel a free kick. The ball found Diego about at the sixth, uh, kind of at the elbow if you're a basketball fan, uh, who displayed an impressive amount of next, uh, next strength to generate enough pace to get the ball over the top of the keeper. Uh, and he, he did. He, he set his feet, kind of stagger-stepped, and, got up and just kind of use those neck muscles and, and got that ball over top. Uh, the yeah. ball was actually sent in by Lawson Redmond. Um, all right. I mean, it was against the run of play, but again, 
right place at right time. And, and we'll get into the, a goal like that in the next one too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Missouri state tied it in the 36 minute. They played a long ball um, from outside the box. The first attempt was a header that just went just right of the wide of the wide of the right post. Um, did, do you think Mason Hart thought it was going out or slew defense because it, they kind of, it, for a second, they almost froze. I don't know if they just kind of misplayed it or they thought it was going out or that it had had gone out um, because, you, you know, Missouri plate, Missouri State player winds up with it, kept it in, sent it to the middle of the goal mouth, which was wide open by this time. Um, white shirts kind of all around, but not right there and put it away. It was an odd goal, but it was hard to say it was undeserved. I think Slew may have been caught standing still a little bit on that one. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think a lot of times. Uh, well, first of all, I think the the looking for a whistle in soccer is a scourge on the game. Yeah. Um, and I think we've seen that a couple times here, uh, with the Billikens, but also, you know, uh, so I think for sure. But I also think that Missouri State could have been two one up in this game. Uh, obviously there was the foul that was called against Missouri state on Mason Hart. When I I'm here to tell you, Mason Hart fouled him, uh, in the box. Uh, so the Billikens were fortunate to get away with what that one there, uh, the shots were 14 to four, um, Missouri state, as you mentioned, shots on goal, six to three corners were four to one bears fouls. Billikens fouled 17 times to Missouri state's 11. It could have been 18 to 10. I swear to God. Uh, <laughs> Slew had three of the game's five yellow cards, Konings, Iverson, and Komodi on those. Yeah, but they turned it around, Zach. Well, I guess not turned it around, but, uh, you know, got back in the win column with a 2 nothing win over Rhode Island on Saturday the 30th, uh, which, uh, you know, both of those goals coming from kind of unexpected sources. Yeah. 31st minute, Mad Sitzer Peterson. And by the way, uh, Dan Betlock, if you're listening, just call him MSP, please. Yeah. You did, 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 like, did he not, was he not the one who came up with MST? Uh, it, was it him or Surrey or, or, no, it wasn't uh, Surrey. It might, okay. well, whoever was doing women's basketball before, uh, Surrey came up with it. Yeah. Uh, we had MST. We can have MSP. Yeah. MSP finishes a header. Uh, it was an easy header off of Max Floriani. Um, he- well, it was Jesus. This is uh, like, did I write this? This is yes. not my best work. Sorry, yeah, it's no. a header off a header. Yes. Okay. Uh, Matt says <laughs> MSP finishes uh, via headball off a Max Floriani header that came from a Galen Flynn corner. Floriani has gotten really good at taking the initial header off set pieces. Really just kind of like they whip the ball in. Floriani gets on that first mm-hmm. one and then get weird in the box is really yep. kind of the plan there. Uh, made it dangerous, pushing it over to the far side. It was MSP's first goal of the season. Yeah, which kind of surprised me. I thought he would play more of an attacking mid role and yeah. he's become more of a defensive mid. Um, just just based on like what he looked like earlier, you know, in his freshman year. That's kind of what I saw. I was like, okay, he's got a little bit of size. Um, you know, can really push the ball forward. Um, he's he 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 seemed to me to be more of an offensive threat, but um, but they've slid him into more of a defensive role. Nonetheless, he looked good on this one. Um, and then in the 87th minute, 
Slew uh, put this one away. Tanner Anderson cleaned up Cole Doherty's rebound to give Slew a 2-0 lead and ice this one. Um, Anderson wound up with the ball after a bad Rhode Island giveaway. Oh, it was bad. Uh, yeah, passed it over to a wide-open Doherty whose shot was stopped, uh, but he was in the right place to put it back. Uh, Zach, do you think he may have been offside in this play? It's always a tough call. I don't necessarily like the uh, I don't like the offside call on shots like mm. rebounds. I don't like it. I think I think reward going to the net. Um, and I yeah. just I think it's such a difficult call to make that like why even put it out now obviously that's a, like I think rebounds, right? So I don't think you should be able to deflect offsides, but I definitely think if if the ball is saved and you're right there like uh, you right. should, so so yeah. off the goalie not off yes. the defender yeah right, right. so uh and i thought he might have been so uh maybe the billikens get fortunate there i'm not sure but uh definitely one i'd love to see a, a better replay on yeah um uh, th- it was his first goal as a billiken so i mean the first goal of the season for msp first goal of the game for tanner anderson uh you know maybe we're starting to come out of the funk those are good signs to have two new names on the scoring sheet. Um, and I also remembered that Rhode Island was the game where we basically lost on a buzzer beater last year. Yeah. That, if you remember that. And one. there was no, uh, there was no video of that game. I remember. Right. I think it was, wasn't it raining or something and they couldn't get the, uh, if I recall correctly, but yeah, they did. They something never got weird. the feet up and we never got to see uh, like any of it. And right. it, yeah. It was, yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, yeah. So Rhode Island's not a bad team, you know, like, like you you always hope for these, like there to be that one a 10 matchup right around this time of the year that really gets them going, gets the confidence boost in it. And Rhode Island's not necessarily that team, but hopefully they have that coming up. Yeah. Rhode Island's always, I mean, they have put teams in the NCAA tournament Mm -hmm. uh, on occasion. Uh, I believe the year that SLU hosted it and didn't even make it. Uh, was uh the was a Rhode Island winner either that or Xavier I can't remember, mm. um, but anyway fourteen to eleven shots for URI shots on goal five to four Billikens corners were six to four URI, uh, fouls were fifteen and nine URI each team had one yellow card and an odd moment in this one Peter as the referee went over to the student section. And decided to reprimand the drum line over there. Told them they couldn't play. Yeah, and I don't think um, were you were you at the game? Nope. For this one, okay. Because didn't did did Betlack miss that? He's because he, he was saying it. he was saying like I haven't heard the drum line in a while. What's going on with the drum line? No, he saw them go over there and tell them something. Like okay. he he talked about it because it was painful. Obviously, the ref literally went into the stands. Yeah, which was bizarre, but apparently he did. The ref did not understand that they could play. Um, they could play during the run of play, which he would have stroked out if he had been at VCU uh, today for the women's <laughs> game. Yeah, they had that thing going the whole time. But yeah, we had. The, I believe the swim team was out there. Uh, I I think it's always a. Uh, like a quote unquote, I don't want to call it hazing because that's such a bad connotation, but a, a kind of a in, induction. Sure, rite yeah, of passage. To, yeah, rite of passage for you to, for them to show up in their speedos with their their chest painted, 
um, and cheer yeah. on a, another team. I know they've done it for volleyball in the past or, or women's soccer as well. So it's all, I think every, I think every team should have to do that. Yeah. yeah like yeah. I, I think every team should have a, you know, one game where that's what the freshmen do, right? They go out sure. and they get weird at a, uh, at another team's game. Uh, run us down the standings here, Pete, for uh, Atlantic 10 men's soccer. Yeah, so Duquesne, SLU, and VCU are all in first right now with a 2-0-1 record. And then you've got um, Davidson, Fordham, and Dayton all at 2-1. and um, I think it's a pretty solid top half of the league this year, to be honest. Um, LaSalle, a little bit better than than normal. They're 1-0-2. And, and um, then you've got Loyola. 1-0-2 <laughs> better than normal. That's funny. Undefeated. Undefeated. Uh, yeah. Loyola, St. Joe's are both 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Uh, Bonaventure and UMass, both one win and two losses. And then you get to the winless teams. Rhode Island has two losses and a tie. And then George Washington and George Mason, uh, neither of them have won or tied. And, uh, you know, but their overall records, Mason's a one-win team. George Washington and Rhode Island. Uh, actually, yeah, Rhode Island only has two wins with three ties right now. So, yeah, anyway, I think the league top to bottom is probably a little stronger than it was last year. Um, is a little more parody is just, just kind of the vibe I'm getting. I could be wrong in the end, but, um, that's the way it looks right now anyway. Yeah. I feel like Bonaventure isn't ever really that good. Uh, it feels like UMass and St. Joe's always, uh, put together decent teams. Um, but yeah, George Mason is apparently has no interest in doing anything, uh, in soccer right now. We, uh, we always pick on mason but i I, ever since you've kind of harped on this i think you're right like this has not been a strong addition to the league no like they're just not they got softball this year and baseball i think okay i think they got base did they get both baseball and softball or was that vcu i don't remember you know i think they got one of them but that was but wasn't that like the first one of the first ones they've ever gotten since they've been in the yes in the conference and so so many of their sports they just stink their first champion was uh, their first championship was a baseball championship in 2014, and it happened at SLU. Um, and this year was VCU in baseball. Okay. Women's yeah. or softball was George Mason. Was Mason, yeah, yeah. But overall, I mean, they just uh, <laughs> not impressive. Not no. impressive. We'll see what uh, they can do now that they have skin in the game. Yeah. In basketball, yeah. Sorry, that was my best. That was the, that was my best rim shot that I had. Yeah, and it took me a second to realize what you were doing there. But yeah. uh, my my gosh, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm slow tonight, Zach. But uh, yeah. all right, well done, fine. Skin Tony Skin is their head coach. Yes. Uh, next up for the Billikens, George Washington uh, at George Washington on Wednesday the fourth, Saturday the seventh at LaSalle. I really like the other side of George Washington soccer stadium like it's like a burr it's very much like siue oh yeah yeah, but not but no like it's closer they have a berm like right on the other side with like they have like adirondack chairs out there which to me is the greatest way to watch a soccer game or anything for that matter yeah now that you mention it i I remember watching an away game there a couple seasons ago and that that does look like a very pleasant place to watch a game yeah i might i might have to give that a go um on the women's soccer side of things uh RPI ranking or all the rankings, Pete, let's hear them. 
Yeah, so the RPI is actually up to 21. It was 29th last week. Um, in the coaches poll, they are not ranked again. Um, they were 26th last week, and they're 28th last week if you're counting down in the also receiving both section. So not sure what happened there. Top drawer soccer has them down to 24 from 14 the week before. And then college soccer news held at 23, so no change there. Yeah, I think it was that Dayton tie. Mm, yeah. Not so great. Yeah, uh, but Dayton's a good team. Yeah. Who's not, you know, who's not a good team, Peter? <laughs> that would be George Mason. Yes. No, they are not. Um, 3 0 win at George Mason, Thursday, the 28th. Fifth minute, Hannah Larson assisted from Emily Gaby. Only her second goal of the season, still working her way back. Yeah. I mean, she's been great on those corners. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just, just hasn't gotten in the scoring column a lot. Uh, 49th minute, Hannah Sawyer gets the second goal for the Billikens. The 58th minute, Anna Lawler got her first goal of the season on a header with an assist from who else off a free kick, but Katie. Howell. Yeah. Katie Hawks free kicks are just out of this world, man. What do you, what do you think about those free kicks? I've got a hot take on them. Um, I'm not a huge fan of uh, them in a lot of occasions, but like, I like it when it works. But ha- like when it doesn't, I just think it fails kind of spectacularly. Hmm. Why? So be expound on that a little bit. I just I would rather her aim for the mixer than for going to go. I I know like again, like her sh- the whole plan is to, like I've said a million times on this podcast. The game was clearly made for like dudes in like Victorian England, right? Like it's taking advantage of of the equipment not being made for women. Uh, so, I mean, I get what the, what the goal is uh, and, and kind of putting the keeper in an odd position to tip it over to the bar from, you know, on a shot from 40 yards out. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just think I would like to see more of like the stuff with uh, you talk about Floriani uh, getting his yeah. head on the ball. I would like to see more of that. Cause I think, Things just get really weird, especially in women's soccer in the box. I think that's what they're trying to take advantage of, though. Sure. Although it it does mean just like, in a different way. If this was true last year, there are a lot of games, and we have it right here. Eighteen to three, Slew shot out, shot out, outshot George Mason. Um, it seems like Slew has played like this for years now, where they create a ton of opportunities. It's not necessarily always the highest quality opportunities. So I think part of part of what you just said, they're just trying to take advantage of the fact yeah. that things can get a little chaotic in front of that net. And uh, and maybe you don't get the best touch on it, but you get a touch on it and you force them to make a play, um, I think is the idea. And sometimes that winds up being an eight nothing win like it was against Kansas City and sometimes three nothing against George Mason when it probably could have been five or six. Yeah, like you said, shots are 18 to three in this one shots on mm-hmm. goal seven to one. Uh, corner six, zero. Fuck, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. foul 16 to 11. Uh, Gaby got a yellow card in the 56th minute. She, I guess the keeper went down to get the ball and uh, Gaby might have dragged her knee a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Um, Katie Shields and Chris Allen picked up matching yellows about 30 seconds later in the ensuing, um, verbal, sparring with the ref over that play. So you get that. got to come to the defense of your player regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, you know, 
and like we said, Mason like fired their coach mid season. That's, I feel like that's unheard of in, in women's athletics, especially yeah, or, or non rev sports for that matter. Sure. And it's a shame that, yeah, you're right. It, it's a shame that it's uh w- women's soccer and not like basketball or something that we, you would maybe hear someone yeah. really dig into that story. Like this seems like one of those, we may never really get the full story. Like yeah. unless you're a person who's really wired into Mason athletics, you might never know, but there's gotta be something going on there. But Regardless, they have one win overall on the season, zero in conference, and and I it might stay like that. They're not that good. that win might be a uh, like against like a division two team. Oh, that, that could be. <laughs> I mean, no, I I'm not. Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna have to look at that one because I love looking up that stuff. But um, yeah, Pete, run us down uh, this Sunday. What. Oh yeah. Okay. Wait, they do have oh. one when it was in conference. So I, yeah, I was wrong about that. Oh, they won in um, conference. Yeah. And I, now I, it, I guess I it had it. to be get G- it. GW or Davidson who are both bad, but anyway, yeah, let's get to Sunday. Um, the game was a, a one nil victory at VCU in the ninth minute. Billikens get the lone goal of the game on a quick counter long ball. When Gaby got going downhill and nobody was going to stop her. Uh, once again, Zach caught on Gaby Island. Um, I thought she may have taken her shot from a little far out, but it hit the back of the net. It was a nice left foot strike across her body into the far corner. Abby Miller got the assist for what originally just looked like a long clearance. So it was, they covered most of the field on two touches. Most of the field, um, but Miller just boots it way out. Gaby sees the opportunity and she, she was flying after this ball and just it put one touch on it, um, which is rare for her. I feel like she's normally going to give it um, at least one move. Um, but really, really impressive play there. This game easily could have ended up tied. Uh, Percelli had to make a couple saves to keep Slew in front. VCU hit the crossbar, but the Billikens also had a couple of really nice opportunities to extend the lead, um, including a rocket off the crossbar by Hannah Sawyer. So that was uh, a could've... that was a pill. Yeah, definitely one of those games where it, you know one nothing um, could have very easily been one one or two two or two one in either direction. So. It's a, it winds up being a, a good result nonetheless. But Zach, it sounds like uh, you've got a few thoughts about how this team's playing defensively lately. Yeah. I mean, I, they, they're doing well to like repel teams, but it's when the, the, the teams are dangerous in the area, the second and third opportunities, it just feels like the Billikens are giving teams a little too much time, a little too many opportunities. Uh, you know, I feel like they, they're a little casual, clear in the ball. Uh, they try to kind of play out of it instead of maybe just uh, away. Um, or sometimes I feel like there's a little too much space between those midfielders and defenders that um, that the uh, the attackers can get into and really get going downhill. And mm-hmm. then you've got you know you know five, six, seven yards to to kind of get motoring uh, heading uh, down the back line. But yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, so far. It's it's not been bad. Yep, hasn't hasn't really caught up with them yet. No, not yet, not yeah. yet. Uh, the shots were eighteen to twelve VCU shots on goal. VCU six, slew four. Corners were five to one VCU, um, and slew had ten fouls to VCU's eight. The bill like it was mentioned in the broadcast how many goal kicks, uh, the Billick or VCU goalie had. Yeah. Well, so I guess it, it kind of was impressive the way VCU avoided giving up corners in this one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, they, they clearly had a strategy. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, it just just wasn't enough. I guess I, I was just thinking about how rare it is to actually see slew women in the in the second spot on that shot stat, right? Like like yeah. they outshoot everybody. So that that clearly VCU was doing something right here, and that's going to be a a game video that everybody in conference is going to be reviewing. Uh, go ahead and run us down the uh, standings, and then I will dig in dig on George Mason a little bit more once okay. you finish that. Okay. Um, Slew is alone in first, 4-0 and 1 that with that lone tie coming against Dayton. UMass is in second. They look pretty good this year. They're eight, uh, 4 1 and 1. They're 7 3 and 3 overall. LaSalle is 4 and 1. Uh, Dayton is 3 0 and 3. Kind of hard to believe that they've tied two other teams in the league. Um, Duquesne is 2 0 and 3. Fordham 2 1 and 2. Um, Rhode Island and St. Joe's are also both 2 1 and 2. St. Bonaventure is 2-2-1, VCU is 2-3-1, and uh, Loyola Chicago is 1-2-2. Richmond and George Mason are both 1-4, and and George Washington and Davidson are both 0-5-1. And And next Sunday, the 8th, Zach, SLU has a full week basically to prepare for Richmond, uh, who's one of those bottom third teams. Do I have that? Is that true? That's not true. That's not true. Uh oh, wait a minute. Sorry. I have no idea what date it is. Go ahead. I, I'll yeah, shut up. I, the next game up. is Sunday, October 8th against Richmond at Herman Stadium. I would not want to be a bottom third team in the league coming to SLU on a full week's rest for them. Um, but that's just me. But then but they in got the meantime, yeah, they got UMass Thursday. That's gonna be a big one, though. Yeah, looking right. way ahead. But and and hopefully, you know, I would like to think that they're not gonna overlook Richmond with a week to prepare. I don't know. Um, Richmond Richmond did lose to George Mason. And, and so this, that's the one. Yes. This George Mason team did not have played. Uh, they lost three, nothing to old dominion, lost three, nothing to Appalachian state four nothing to East Carolina four nothing to university of Virginia four, nothing to William and Mary three, nothing to Villanova two, nothing to Maryland three, nothing to Iowa. They finally score a goal. On September 14th, that's a full, that's a little under a month without mm. a goal. Yeah, that's bad. 4-2 um, uh, loss to Fordham, 5 nothing to Virginia, beat University of Richmond 1-0, get a postponed game against St. Joseph's, and then lose to the Billikens 3-0, and then go and turn around and lose to Rhode Island 3-0. Wow. That's a yeah. So I mean, maybe there really is no story other than this coach just was, you know, they weren't showing up to work. I mean, like, yeah, I, losing every game three or four to nil. Like you really, might as for, well for just a solid forfeit. Month. Yeah, like, like you, what are you what are you doing? You'd have less goals against if you forfeited. Like when they lost, <laughs> when you said two nothing to Maryland, I thought oh, that's a pretty good result actually. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, to not score a goal in that whole stretch, wow, unreal. Yeah, it um, makes me think like three nothing should have been worse. Yeah, I I don't know if they were actually like showing up for work. That's how bad mm. they are. Right. Um, volleyball. Uh, two zero at George Mason this weekend, and and of course Mason is not you know um not a power in the Atlantic Ten or anywhere, but you go on the road. Um, you start off slow, but end up getting a three two win. Uh, in their first match against George Mason, 18-25 loss. And, and Pete, I got to tell you, watching that first set and watching them drop it 25-18, to 18, 
Mm-hmm. I got really nervous. I did yeah. not like where this match was heading. However, um, it, it, it turned around. Uh, the Billikens get the second set, 25-19. They drop the third set, 22-25. Win the fourth set, 25-19. And then dominate in the fifth set, 15-8. Delaney Rice is the story once again this weekend after uh, a big weekend in the losses against VCU. She comes back, gets a career-high 26 kills in this match. And I, I mean, not only is she hitting well in system so that's when uh you know everything goes to plan on the mm-hmm. receiving end of a, a serve but she's also making really nice tough plays um really hitting spots with 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 attacks that are, are very difficult like some from a standing still uh, yeah. i think she cut one over the net uh, on an angle that went down uh, just really nice. She's sneaky athletic. She's tall. She can get over the block. Um, she's just, just very, very good in this, this weekend's matches. Uh, Demetrius Charlie, uh, six blocks in a return after injury. Uh, Kate Opperly, 35 assists, Carly Rogers, 23 digs. The passing after that first match or after that first set really got, got a lot better. Uh, Pete, talk about their second uh, win of the weekend. This one was a lot more decisive. It was a sweep, 3-0 at George Mason, 25-18, 25-22, 25-21. Jillian Mattingly had 10 kills. Six different Billikens got kills in this match. Um, Opperly had 30 assists. She passed the 2,000 mark for her career this weekend, uh, which is really impressive. And then Rogers had 22 digs. Uh, this one was all slew from the start, though, Zach. A lot uh, a lot different vibe than that first one. Yeah, it really was. I mean, just uh, it, you could it started off, I think, five nothing Billikens, and it it just went from there. Uh, one thing that really bothers me, though, is just the, the service errors to start sets. Uh, I've seen it a lot, I feel like. Um, obviously, they are a very aggressive serving team. Uh, but yeah, I mentioned Delaney Rice, um, really, really shown up uh, in a positive way these last two weeks. Uh, Char- Charlie was—I I still don't know how to say this. It's so difficult for me to do it. Uh, Dimitri uh-huh. Dimitra was uh, injured early in the season, uh, but uh, it looks like she's got the start in the last two matches uh, uh-huh. uh, over Trinity Luckett. Luckett's young. Uh, Demetra, I, I think you just needed a, a little more, you know, sound, uh, middle blocker, sure. um, and they are blocking a lot more. One of the big things in that VCU match was just a lack of blocking. Like they mm. like, go back and look at that. They did not block anything. Uh, that changed against George Mason. Uh, Emily Hankin still, uh, I still don't have, I don't know anything. Yet haven't heard anything. I I shall inquire, I guess. Um, The standings are interesting. Um, Loyola Chicago is two and two right now. Um, Yeah. And their overall record is not good either. No, but they did play a tough schedule. But you know who also played a tough schedule? That's Dayton. Uh, Dayton's at the top with VCU at four and oh. Davidson's two and two along with the Billikens and George Mason. Uh, George Washington's two and two as well. Um, 
and so is Loyola Chicago. So a lot of two and two there. Crowded in the uh, middle. Two and two. It's like, uh, yeah, well, um, Fordham one and three, Duquesne one and three, Rhode Island zero oh and four. By the way, epic set between Rhode Island and George Washington. I had a TV that was open and just happened to flip on that game. It went to like thirty five. I think it was oh, 37, wow. 35 was the third set. Uh, I love when that happens. Yeah. Washington swept Rhode Island. Um, yeah. Do you, do you remember, did you ever watch when it was uh, not rally scoring? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I, I did what, what do you I think? Mean, what are you a fan? What do you prefer? I think I like the rally scoring. Yeah. Um, it just, it, I don't know. There's so it, it, feels like it helps the pace and i don't know if it's just a, a mental thing or not i don't it's an don't, american thing you sure yeah we yeah. need high scoring you know <laughs> maybe that's it uh, another tough week oh sorry next up for the billikens they will play tuesday versus loyola then friday and saturday against duquesne interesting how that little quirk of the schedule i think i guess they play a week another weeknight game at loyola so that's i guess they split I don't know. I'm not. That's right. Yeah, it's a Tuesday night up there on October 24th. So okay. they 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 split that one up, um, which is kind of interesting. A little bit of a quirk because everything else basically is a a two match series. Um, field hockey, uh, tough weekend, Pete. It was, and for a couple of reasons: one that we're used to, one that we're not used to. So we'll get to the the odd one first. It was an eight nil loss at number 13 st joe's so i want to be very clear about that st joe's is a a good a very good field hockey team on friday the 29th st joe scored three in the first three in the second and just overwhelmed slew from the jump this is where the story is though zach shots 27 to nothing shots on goal 21 to nothing which honestly means slew made 13 saves that's not bad uh if you're looking for a silver lining there um, Slew's kept it close this season against just basically every other team, ranked or not. Uh, but this is the first one that really got out of hand, and it just seemed like they had they had no answer for St. Joe's whatsoever. Two uh, one loss Sunday the first at Long Island. The match was played at Wagner College in Staten Island. Uh, Do you remember? So we talked about baseball stadiums, fields, softball yeah. fields. Long Island softball field, I think, I it think if I'm, if I'm remembering, it used to be wedged in between yeah. like a parking garage and uh, classroom masterful, building and something else. Masterful use of space. We will, I'm going to track down a picture, a picture of that and share it on our, um, Your on our, on coming out there. I'd never picture, do that either. Picture. My, my wife would be horrified if she heard that, but I'm going to find a photo of it and, uh, and share that on our, on our Twitter, just to remind people of what we're looking at. So my point is that long Island university, which is in Brooklyn um, for the non-geographically inclined um, Brooklyn and Queens are on long Island, just the, the far Western edge of it. That I don't think they have a lot of real estate there is my point. So I guess playing at Wagner is just what they have to do. That's a pretty good haul from Brooklyn, by the way. But anyway, back to the match. Uh, Sierra Larson scored her second goal of the season in the first quarter. That's all Slew could muster with LIU tying it in the second and getting the game winner in the fourth. Josefina Perez got the assist. Larson's goal was off a rebound uh, from Perez's initial shot. Demi Sahaleka had a penalty stroke. Stopped early in the fourth quarter. Um, those are kind of the self-inflicted wounds I feel like this team has. Uh, just not converting when they need to. Like I mentioned, penalty corners, penalty stroke. 
uh, just not converting. Uh, Slew outshot LIU 10 to 9 and had five penalty corners to LIU's two, exactly as I kind of said there. Uh, both teams entered the game with one win. Uh, Friday, October 6th versus VCU at Sportport will be next. Pete, Billikens went running in Chicago. Yes, they did. They had the Loyola Lakefront Invitational on Friday the 29th. Our guy, Farol Ahmed, was the top mm-hmm. men's finisher um, in the 8K, finishing with 33rd overall with a time of 24-16, his new personal record. Um, the men did finish 13th out of 16 overall. And then on the women's side, Sophia Pellegrin was the women's 6K leader for SLU, finishing 6th overall with a time of 21-18. The women finished 6th as a team. Uh, next up, Zach, they've got the Bradley Pink Classic in Peoria, Illinois on October 13th. So it'll be a couple weeks before we hear uh, results from them again. In the pool, the season got underway very quietly. Uh, on the 24th of the Butler duels, uh, women defeated Butler, Indianapolis, and Bellarmine, but fell to Xavier. Emily Leonard won the 500 free, and Karis Renaga won the 200 free as well. The men beat Bellarmine, but lost to Indianapolis and Xavier. Jedrick Gamilla won the 200-meter breaststroke. They will have a home meet versus Umsel on Saturday. Oh, sorry. Home meet versus Umsel on Saturday the 30th. Men won 131.5 to 86.5, taking seven overall events. Women uh, won 145 to 73, winning eight events. Next up, they will swim at the McKendry Drury Duel, double duel at McKendry on 13th and 14th of October. Yeah, and, and one last thing, Zach. Uh, this is kind of an unusual one, but shout out to Billikens.com user Oki Billiken. I don't know if he's a listener or not, and uh, his real name we don't know either, but he's doing a bit of an East Coast road trip up from Jacksonville, where he's from. And seeing as many Billiken games as he can, he caught volleyball twice at George Mason. He caught women's soccer at VCU. Uh, there was another soccer game that he was trying to get to and just couldn't. He's like I said, he's based in Jacksonville and heading back there now. But it sounds like a pretty cool trip um, to work in that many uh, uh, Billiken games and and not just doing it for men's basketball, but out there seeing everything he could. It sounds like he had a pretty good time. So I just love to see that kind of uh, travel behavior from our our fellow Billikens. Yeah, and it sounds like uh, volleyball got out to see the women's soccer team at George Mason as well. Nice. Yeah, uh, I love while that. While they were both on campus. Um, Pete, I think that does it for this week. Um, in Billiken Athletics, follow us on all social media platforms at Midtown Mad Pod on Instagram and Twitter at Zach Miller MMP on Twitter at Peter is a tweeter. Uh, Again, thank you for listening. Um, As always, Pete, go Bills. Go Bills.